excerpts on the book from my great 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 grandfather. Actually, I was hoping to get some perspective from you. It seems your family was connected to ours many years ago. Come on, Pa. Quit screwing around and help us find the graveyard. Calm down. There's nothing out there. You look like you saw a ghost. A scary dream. All dreams try to tell us things, even bad ones. Right now, your father tells me your favorite television show is on. Would you like to go watch? I guess so. Sarah and Robbie saw dead bodies and a monster all over the neighborhood. It's Halloween. Hi, this is Hazel Tanksy from Boo Day Master, and you are listening to the Hysteria Continues. And indeed you are, and what better intro could we have than Hazel for the masterpiece Jacko from 1995. And I can promise you, if if I can promise you one thing, it will be that this is going to be a shit pickle of an episode. Um, (laughs) Not because we have a very special guest, and as as we have Amanda Reyes from Made for TV Mayhem podcast with us, which is always a joy, and we're very excited to have Amanda with us. And I will talk to Amanda in a second, but the slight problem we have is this is joseph's pick uh jacko's one of the alashan picks um uh, but uh the slight problem is we don't have any joseph and so we don't know uh where joseph is we think he may have just overslept young man his whole life in front of him disappears a familiar story yes but this is no ordinary joke joseph perhaps the most loved figure in the country According to Mrs. Elsie Melcher, a neighbor who asked not to be identified, Joe left his house two weeks ago. According to Angelique Bones, a nosy bitch who lives up the street, he took with him only a toothbrush, a wallet, a steamer trunk, and a plane ticket to Calcutta. Police theorize several possible scenarios of what happened with a man affectionately known to the world as Joseph... Well, I don't know where the hell he is. For all I care, he could be hanging by his neck in his fucking closet. Scenario number one. He's hanging by his neck in his fucking closet. The night before his disappearance, Joseph's girlfriend had paid him a visit. According to friends, they had quarreled. If you're looking for Joe, I suggest you look wherever you find the most heinous, blatant, and vile exploitation of children on the planet. Scenario number two. Joseph went to Disney World. Cool. Now, hopefully, Joseph will join us mid-episode. Um, but as I said, um, it wouldn't be the first time we've had a shit pickle of an episode. And you'll, <laughs> uh, we'll make clear what the shit pickle is and what we're referring to uh, a little bit later on. But Amanda, thank you for joining us. I bet this has been a lifetime, um, you know, sort of uh, ambition of yours to uh, record an episode on Jacko. When I first saw Jacko, when it came out, I said to myself, I can't wait to do a podcast episode about this because the word podcast didn't exist yet. But somewhere in my heart, I knew this was going to happen. It was sort of like <laughs> a, a dream that I had, <laughs> a premonition. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Well, that goes to show the power of Jacko and the supernatural shenanigans uh, that goes on that you, you had a premonition of doing a podcast in 1995. So, uh, but always a pleasure, Amanda. And thank you for joining us. And hopefully, as I say, Joseph will join us uh, at some point uh, throughout, unless the pumpkin headed yes. man has got him or he's been making some toast. <laughs> There is uh, there was rumours of a, of a big storm heading Chattanooga way, so that oh. could have wiped out um, Joseph's internet connection either. So 
we don't unsure. know. We ha- we will be held in suspense, unlike we were for ninety minutes. We're watching this movie, but um, <laughs> er- Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing good, considering I've watched Jacko twice this week. <laughs> well, we don't we don't want to give too much away about what we think about this film. No, um, no you but, might be surprised at my opinion anyway. So okay, well, I imagine somebody I imagine probably does like Jacko, but don't tell us yet, Nathan, as we will come on to that shortly. But how are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm just shocked at the dangers that someone could face holding a butter knife near a toaster. It's very dangerous. Yes. <laughs> could slip and have a nasty accident. Yes. Well, all will become clear uh, a little bit later. Okay. Well, let's have a chat about our recently seen, shall we, in time on tradition. And Amanda, as you're our very special guest, uh, anything you've been watching recently you'd like to chat about? Yeah, actually, um, it seems like Austin has been silly with slasher films lately, and I've been able to see a bunch of movies on the big screen. And so I'll just go over a couple of them. Um, last Tuesday, um, the Alamo also screened in 35 millimeter just before dawn. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. It was one of the most incredible experiences. It's so good on the big screen. I can't believe I finally got to see it like in its full scope. And you know, it's a great movie anyway, and it's aged really well, but it is really amazing on the big screen. I mean, everything about it works and it was such an interesting audience because you know, the Alamo isn't supposed to talk anyway and you get a really respectful crowd on terror Tuesday, but it was really silent. Like it felt to me like people were really into the film uh, you could just, there was just something in the atmosphere and it was just amazing. Some of those scenes are just even scarier. Like, you know, the scene where Jamie Rose is in the water and you see one of the killers get into the, into the lake with her from the waterfall. Like that was just amazing. It was amazing. And also the part where Greg Henry is looking for the keys uh, towards the end of the film. And he's, um, and he's got the flashlight and he's kind of moving it around And his dead friend who's now been dressed up and has makeup on is behind him and he doesn't see him at first and the light the flashlight goes by that was very effective um it's just amazing but of course at the end when the big climactic scene a lot of people who hadn't seen the film there was a huge reaction to that with the fist i don't <laughs> i don't think a lot of people were expecting that exactly because the movie plays itself very straight and it's hard to know like i don't think it's trying to be funny but it's so shockingly strange when that happens, that it kind of veers away from uh, the rest of the tone of the film. But it's really amazing. It's so amazing. And the lead actress is so good in it. But anyway, so I saw that. and um, That is one I would definitely love to see on the big screen. Because it's uh, even in its non-horror moments, it's such a you know a glorious backdrop for a movie. I'd say it would look amazing on a cinema screen. We could yeah, watch it on a double really bill with Blood Lake. <laughs> they're, they're very I similar. Might, I, might, yeah, I might be outside getting popcorn while Blood Lake is on. How dare you? Wait, who, who is the little Tony is my question. Nathan. No, I mean in Just Before Dawn. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, there's, there is a prankstery character, isn't there? So he'd be. Yeah, I guess Chris Lemon would be the little yeah. Tony, which is hard for me to fathom, but okay. <laughs> so the third thing I saw was at um, the Austin Film Society. They showed, uh, I guess it's a DCP. I think it was just a projection of the blu-ray or of the whatever they did with the blu-ray of for the upcoming release of next of kin you know um mm. that australian movie yeah uh that was so good i hadn't seen that movie in quite a long time and so i was really excited about it and it's much better than i remembered it and i remembered it was really good so um the thing though that was the revelation for me is that john jarrett when he was in his heyday oh my god guys he was so beautiful he's really sexy in 
this. He plays a character named Barney, which is great because that was my cat's name. And so, and so anybody named Barney has a real soft spot, but he's so good in this. And it's just a really eerie atmospheric film with moments that are so subtly creepy. Um, and speaking of John Jarrett, uh, the Alamo actually also played Picnic at Hanging Rock on 35 millimeter and he's in that as well um looking amazing but that's a really beautiful film that i also hadn't seen for a long time and um it's so much better now that i have more maturity underneath my belt because the first time i saw it i was like i don't understand i thought there was a serial killer and um (laughs) and i was really upset about it and and uh the person i went with kind of explained the film to me and i felt really stupid but with that in mind i went again and saw it and i'd actually just read this really amazing book about eco cinema uh, film theory and practice and I was kind of applying some of the film theory that I learned about nature and how it provides class systems and things like that it was really interesting um and then yesterday for the first time in like 20 years I sat down with Slumber Party Massacre 2 and I'm really sad that I haven't revisited this film again in all that time because it was really amazing yes. it's so amazing yeah it's just good it's creepy and it's weird and it's silly and it's but it all works and i love the set pieces i love the music i don't know if i love the killer so much i really just love the girls hanging out but everybody is so likable that it was just really great it's playing on amazon prime here in the states if anybody wants to catch up with it um i highly recommend it but you guys have podcasted about most of these so that's all i'll say about them well let me say um did you like sally's song what i want most is a pie in the sky i did and i really like sally i really liked the girls that they really liked each other because there's this kind of well first of all i love the way it's shot because it's shot by a woman and so there's a lot of pov from the main character when she's dreaming about her hunky boyfriend and it's all done in this way that a woman a man would shoot a woman and Uh it's and like this oh he's just so cute thing and it's wonderful but the interaction with the women is really good so the girl who's the lead singer of the band who is juliet cummings you think at the beginning that maybe she's gonna have her eyes on crystal bernard's boyfriend but that never comes into play because there's this reaction she has about him coming to visit at the condo and you're like don't make this that film and they don't they make it like a really solid female friendship film and the guys are really cool too with the exception of the one kind of stoner guy but the um they're all very supportive of each other and there's a really nice rapport with everybody and it's got a really nice energy and i think it maybe it's that bridge because as we get into the late 80s the uh characters in horror films became really antagonistic with each other and it kind of stuck and um and i think maybe this movie and i'd have to look at the list of what came out in 88 or whatever but of movies where people still really enjoyed their company you know what i mean and this movie really has that so it's like i think um eric is the one that says the mark of a good slasher movie is when you don't care about the slasher when you just want to hang out with the people and the slasher is just sort of the quirk and the perk of it and and this is a movie where when they start dying i'm really upset because i could have just hung out with those girls for like two more days like i could have spent that whole weekend with them (laughs) in that condo and I would have been so happy. I would have been so happy. Yeah, it's really good. And I'm really sad that I'm just now seeing it again for the first time. For I wish I, I wish that film was more about the band than about a slasher movie as well. I mean, I think the band stuff is really good fun in it. And like yourself, I'm less interested in the um, rockabilly slasher dream stalker guy. One thing that's good, though, is that at least they save, like, the cast. They just kind of get massacred in the last 10 minutes. Like, most yeah. of the movie, you are just hanging out with them. 
true. Yeah, so, it just, it just really <laughs> does a good job of making you like them. And it's interesting because they never explain the killer at all. Mm-hmm. Um, like even why he's in her dreams and how he gets manifested. He's just there. And it's like, it's like, it's so unfulfilled. It's like, it's almost like somebody wrote a, uh, like a slice of life movie about an all girl band. And somebody said, let's make it a slasher. And so they're like, okay, um, Nightmare Elm Street's really popular. Let's do that, you know. And it's it's almost like an afterthought. See, I always thought that it was kind of her uh, budding like sexuality with this boy that she liked, combined with the band, oh. and it manifested this like horror from her past with the drill, but good things that she's looking forward to, and like it's haunted by nightmares of her past. Or am I going too deep here? No, 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 no. I want to write that paper, Nate. (laughs) (laughs) That film is just like Smelly Cat. So many levels. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that you say that, uh, you know what? I'm going to rewatch it and have that in mind. But I think you might be right. That's so good. Yeah, that's what I've always thought, especially when you think about the way it ends. Uh, It's it's sort of just a huge nightmare. Well, also, she's in bed with him. So the the manifestation of the sexual longing is really interesting to me now that you say that. I just love the way they filmed him because he's super cute. Right. And but like when she dreams of him, it's all from her point of view. And so the shots are kind of like not fish-eyed, but you, they're at weird angles that you might not necessarily have seen him if it was just a camera shot of him. Yeah. And and so it's really like, so you are like crushing on him with her. Like the direct, I think Deb, Deborah Brock might be the director's name. I can't remember. But it she is. does a really good job of placing you in Crystal Bernard's shoes. So you're watching you're watching the film through her eyes through a lot of it. And she does a really good job of situating the uh, audience that way. And, you know, if you notice um, – the killer doesn't manifest until she's ready to go all the way with her boyfriend, which yeah, well, is part she has, of all sexuality. That's right. But she has that. I love that. Her sister's like, don't go all the way. And I wasn't sure if that we meant something else and she was misinterpreting it. But um, I guess she wasn't. I guess her dream was basically like, don't do it. Yeah. Don't have sex. A life lesson, guys. Gosh, it's always very deep. <laughs> my theory continues. So, uh, <laughs> thank you, Amanda. Anyway, that's what I've seen, and it was great. Thanks. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Uh, um, before we move on, Amanda, on the last episode, we covered Psycho 2. So I needed to ask you, Robert Loggia, hotty or naughty? I like old dudes, but like Robert Forrester, old dudes. So like, I don't know how to explain that aside from Robert Forrester, old dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's Guys with like dark, I like the dark hair. I don't mind gray hair, but, um, but I like the dark hair. I don't know if Robert Loja what his natural hair color was because he was always like 65. Okay, I'm, I'm alone then. I'm back to being alone. Oh, I'm sorry. I love him very much, but I don't think I would like... What about Dennis Franz? No, I wouldn't sit on that either. Uh, Eric, I was thinking of you because there's a TV movie on Amazon Prime called Disaster on the Coastliner, and oh. Willard from Pieces is in it, and he doesn't have a beard, so I don't know what you would think of him, but no? there's a really okay. great scene where he's holding a kitten... And oh. I think that might be like a poster you'd want in your bedroom. That is a poster I want. It's like the, <laughs> uh, the what the man holding the baby, you know, a famous poster. Um, it's called Disaster on a what? Disaster on the Coastliner. On the Coastliner. Okay. It's really fun. Yeah, but Paul he's Smith he's on Amazon over here. He's great in it. Paul Smith. Yes. Yep. That's it. <laughs> 
Excellent. Well, Eric, what have you been watching in the last week or so? Okay. Um, actually, it's um, funny that I haven't watched this yet, but I did pick up the Blu-ray of Next of Kin. It's out mm-hmm. on Blu-ray over here. Um, a second site have released it with tons of extras. So uh, I picked that up because I was also purchasing um, Arrow's new release of The Iguana with the Tongue of Fire, which I did watch this week. And this is the Ricardo Freda um, Jallo set in Dublin, which is kind of why I uh, have an affinity for the film. I've only ever seen this in kind of 17th generation vhs copies so uh, you, you know anytime i've ever watched it in the past it's been really difficult to make out what's happening and the audio has always been terrible as well so this was a kind of a revelation to see it uh you know restored as such um, i mean it's not an outstanding giallo by any means it's quite i suppose quite run of the mill um, it's about a series of murders that are happening around dublin and uh, connected to the swiss ambassador and his family and there's a local cop played by luigi pistili um, and he's dubbed with a really really typical and kind of racially offensive irish accent um the, the kind you find in darby o'gill and the little people the kind of accent that nobody in ireland actually speaks in um but uh, he he's playing the detective investigation this, and he finds his family are attracting the attentions of the killer also. And did anyone hear that pop in their head? Yes. Yes. What was that? <laughs> that was quite loud. Um, <laughs> anyway, it all plays out in standard Jalo style, and there's an, quite an inspired ending. And there's some... Um, kind of gruesome murders that are done with really, really bad special effects in the film where where the killer is spraying some kind of acid in people's faces and you see it dissolve, but the effects are so phony that they kind of raise a chuckle rather than a grimace. Um, but I do like the film, and as I said, it, it's it has a, I have particular affinity towards it because it's probably one of the very rare... Um, well, probably the only Jallo set in Dublin, but it's very rare that there are horror movies in general set in Dublin. So that's why I kind of like it. It's kind of nice to look back at, at what Dublin was like in 1971. Um, and the uh, Blu-ray is great and has tons of extras. So uh, if you are in, interested at all, I highly recommend it. Mm. I've I've seen uh, well I I haven't seen the new Blu-ray yet, but uh, I must I, I always think the the special effects in it are quite special, uh, as in <laughs> they are not very. Uh, <laughs> Not very good. I mean, it's kind of like a papier-mâché head being uh, having acid thrown in the face. Yes. So I imagine in exactly. Blu-ray it must look very, uh, mm-hmm. very. It doesn't do it any favours. No. <laughs> so anyway, um, well, I hope you've got your butt plug uh, in back in, Eric. Uh, presume that yes. that's what that pop <laughs> was. <laughs> that pop wasn't me. Oh, where was it? What? Where's the pop coming from? Oh, hang on. It might be. Hang on. Uh, I am on a. I'm on a. Um, on a what? Uh, message call. <laughs> I'm on a, I'm on a mess- message call. A text message call here to Virgin Media, who are my internet broadband provider, and they've just actually responded to my message I sent about an hour ago. So that's what the popping is, I think. Okay, right. Uh, Sorry, li- likely story. A likely story, yeah. but. Um, <laughs> Have uh, Amanda or Nathan, have you seen Iguana with a Tongue of Fire? No. Was there anything else, Eric? Uh, no, that was it. Yep. Okay, right. Well, Nathan, how about you? Um, I finally caught up with the first Purge, that prequel that they made, about the very first time that the Purge happens. Um, I thought it was it was good. I mean, here's the thing. If, if you like the Purge movies, then you'll probably like this one. Honestly, it was probably my least favorite out of all the Purge movies, but I still enjoyed it. I mean, I like those movies for what they are. I mean, I don't necessarily rewatch them or find them as rewatchable as a Friday the 13th sequel. But um, I, I do like them, you know, for, for at least a one-time watch. I think they're just kind of fun and, you know, a bit ridiculous. But, you know, I just I enjoy them. 
But yeah, I mean, in all honesty, I mean, and I don't say this as a negative, but it is just more of the same. Did you uh, watch any of the TV series? Um, I started the TV series, but uh, we um, we had like uh, DirecTV, uh, the app, and it just didn't work well for us. So we canceled it. So I haven't finished the TV series. I only got to watch like the first four or five episodes. Oh, is it not on Netflix? I thought, no? No, not over here. At least not that I've seen. It might be on Netflix over here. We, we get things like on the Spanish Netflix, we get uh, things like Hannibal and stuff, which aren't on the UK ones. So I think it all oh. depends on the rights. Yeah. But is it Spanish? Is it in Spanish? Uh, well, it's good Spanish options, but it's always in always in English uh, default. Yeah. And then you can sort of set it in Spanish language or subtitles. You know what's cool, Justin? When you learn Spanish, you can go to the movies and see like any movie you want because you'll know what they're saying. But exactly. I know. Well, we, we went to see Halloween, the new Halloween in Spanish, which I could understand bits words mm. and stuff like that but it was a bit so it all got a bit complicated complicated when the uh when there was that major plot twist which i won't oh, say yes. if you haven't seen it but that uh, plot twist yes that stupid plot twist that plot yes <laughs> it's so, kind of a dumb one yeah so um well thank you nathan anything else well the only other thing i watched was scary movie part four but i've seen it before several times i just find it funny i made west watch it last night I don't think I ever made it. I never watched any of those scary movies apart from the first one when I saw it at the cinema when I was so appalled by it that I didn't watch any of the others. (laughs) What what are the um, major things they take the mick out of in part four? Um, Saw, War of the Worlds, um, and The Village. Yeah, which the tripods are, are actually iPods, aren't they, or something? Well, yeah, like that starts out that way, but then they become big bug looking things. Okay. Right. Well, thank you, Nathan. Um, just a couple of things that I've watched or one thing I've been watching. It's, it's, it's only been a week since we recorded, so I haven't had a chance to watch a great deal. But I've started watching, talking of Netflix, uh, Black Summer on Netflix, which is their new zombie uh, kind of eight-parter. And uh, I, I know I understand why lots of people are zombie, zombied out, uh, and I can understand why. But actually, I found this quite quite good. I mean, I always like a good zombie um, uh, movie, or and I I even started rewatching the well, started watching the Walking Dead again this last season because it actually got a lot better and it had Samantha Morton in it, who's really good, and there's some creepy stuff in it. But my criticism, or one of the big criticisms of the Walking Dead, I kind of guess, is that it became like uh, it became like the zombie version of the Good Life which if you don't know The Good Life which probably a lot of people listening to this won't but it was a 1970s sitcom in a British sitcom about uh, a couple who um, give up their city jobs and uh, live off the land uh, so it's kind of just became I, the whole medieval thing with them travelling around and it becoming like a medieval knights type thing uh, and um, the zombies became a bit sort of sidelined i kind of guess uh but the last series kind of up up the ante but black summer uh is set something like four or five weeks after the zombie apocalypse starts so society is still breaking down and there's mass evacuations and it follows uh a small group of people and the way they do it which i think is quite diverting quite sort of is different is that it does it in little kind of as portmanteau kind of tight little anthology things so there's like each bit is um like five to ten minutes long and it, each each section has a as a title like dog or escape and it um uh, it kind of quite cleverly sort of loops the action round. so when you see something happening in the background it kind of will cut back to that and you'll see how these characters interact with each other without actually realizing 
yeah, so it's quite well done. It's got fast zombies, and it uh, yeah. So the thing I, I like about it is it's it, ha- it presents itself in a kind of an anthology kind of way that you have um, uh, different characters or like uh, uh, sort of their stories all going on at the same time, and uh, they kind of interact, and sometimes they don't realise that they're interacting because there's something happening in the background, which then will cut to what what that was happening and sort of shooting backwards and forwards in on a timeline. So it's it's also got a bit of a nod because it's the um, the fast uh, running zombies that were started in Dawn of the Dead remake, and it's um, the kind of nod to that. I think at the beginning is it's got Jamie King who was in the My Bloody Valentine remake, and uh, she gets chased by her husband, becomes a zombie, very much like the Dawn of the Dead remake. So they're kind of uh, knock, you know, sort of getting that um, comparison out uh, straight away. But but what it does do is it. Um, it uh it's more about suspense so it's just kind of completely it's it's the whole thing is more like a 45 minutes of suspense rather than horror necessarily so yeah it's um a recommend from me if you get a chance to watch it i don't know if you have any of you guys seen it or had any intention not yet it's only landed i think a few days ago didn't it yeah that's right we're only about halfway through halfway through the series i got a little burned out on zombies but i mean if you say it's good then uh i'll be willing to check it out i just kind of got a little tired i guess of zombies for a little while because i think they were very popular and so there's a lot of stuff coming out zombie related yeah no fair enough fair enough so um okay uh well out there in the dark it's waiting it's waiting the killer the monster a force of evil Try to listen between breaths as a chill runs down your spine. You tell yourself it's only a podcast, but sooner or later, it's time to go home. Hey, all you horror fans, it's your old pal Rick Morgan, and I want to welcome you to the House of Wax podcast. I cover the greatest horror movies ever made, and I also share with you what it is in these movies that make these classics. So how is this pod any different from the other thousands of horror podcasts? Well, first, you can actually see the episodes on my YouTube channel with all the bells and whistles you crave. And it's also a podcast, so it can travel with you. Two formats that work great together, and with upcoming side episodes filled with interviews, contests, and movie commentaries, it's sure to keep the blood pumping. So join us and become a horror maniac at the House of Wax. That's Wax. W-H-A-C-K-S. A proud member of Legion Podcast. Catch us everywhere you listen to pods. So it's time you give it a listen. Let's go. Mr. Jack will snap your spine, cut you in half with a scaly vine. Dad, a monster's real. A fairy tale born from a legend. A truth more terrifying than the tale. So pray for that in the night, okay? Only one man had the courage to stand against the forces of darkness. But when a secret that lay dormant for nearly a century is accidentally unearthed, a vicious avenger is summoned to fulfill an age-old prophecy. Send us a demon from hell. Mr. Jack will steer your eyes. Mr. Jack will. Mr. Jack will. Guided by a vision 
stands between good and evil. Haunted by his family's secret past, he must face and fulfill his destiny. Only Sean can stop this monster. concerns a legendary scythe-wielding pumpkin-headed Halloween demon called Jacko, originally raised from the dead in the last century by evil wizard Walter Macken. The demon returns in modern times to haunt young Sean Kelly, his clueless family and babysitter Linnea Quigley. On uh, Come Hallow's Eve, Jacko begins hacking and slashing his way through a blood-spattered, fear-stained stack of drunken college students, unwitting neighbours, terrified trick-or-treaters, motorcycle maniacs, and a witless cable TV installer played by the director himself. And that's on the back of the Retro Media 10th Anniversary Edition DVD, came out in 2004, and which features prominently on the back um, in big headlines before any other actors are listed. It says John Carradine, Linnea Quigley, Brink Stevens, and Cameron Mitchell. Um, now, Linnea Quigley, I can kind of understand. The other three are in it for about for a microsecond in footage spliced in from other movies and so that's kind of a cheat but uh, I watched Jacko for the first time in my life this week and I didn't think it was quite as bad as I thought it was going to be I kind of enjoyed parts of the movie I think it has its moments I thought it was quite well made considering it's done on a micro budget and but perhaps what its main flaw is for, for me is that it is sort of half decent which means that it's kind of bland at times um you know, it, it's, it needs that. Um, it could do with some WTF moments like Boarding House or Pizzas or other films that we love that are kind of low budget, you know, silly shit pickle fests that we love in, uh, so much from that era. Um, the premise reminds me a lot of Rawhead Rex. This is sort of ancient demon suppressed in the earth by some artifacts that when it's moved, um, resurrects the sort of title character. Um, I love the t- sort of two main female adult leads, Vivian and Linda, because although this film is made in the sort of mid-90s, they're channeling the hair of the girl with the big hair in Nightmare on Elm Street 4 who gets turned into a cockroach. They have her kind of hair. But then you get these group of teens who are um, probably friends of Justin's because they're wandering around in the middle of the night looking for a graveyard, which is probably something you used to do in the 90s, Justin, yeah? Well, it was, big, yes, of course. Yeah, in a big oversized check t-shirt in, with your sort of grungy Nirvana look. Uh, and they look very 90s. Um, so it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a weird um, combo of fashions going on in this movie. And um, actually, that guy with the long hair who has the, the sort of Kurt Cobain look, he's the star. Um, he's up front and center on the video cover in the, on the Greek VHS release, um, which lists Cameron Mitchell as the star of the movie as well. Um, obviously, they're shoehorning these cameos in to, to um, sell the movie. It kind of reminded me of that Eddie Murphy film, Bowfinger, um, you know, where the major Hollywood star is unaware he's been filmed for a, for a starring role in a movie. Um, I really like Linnea Quigley in this film. Um, I think she stands out a bit. Uh, um, her character is actually really likable. The temptation, I suppose, is to make her kind of 
preppy, uh, not preppy, sorry, the opposite of that, um, kind of, what's the, sort of the party girl who has no interest in babysitting and as soon as the parents are gone, she's going to invite her boyfriend over and have sex. And that's not the way it, it pans out. I like the fact that she is kind of, comes across as kind of a party girl, but she's also responsible like Laurie Strode. So she's kind of crossed between Laurie and Annie in Halloween. Um, so I thought that was a nice change. Um, I'd like to look at the killer as well. I think the special effect of the pumpkin head is quite good. Um, I think it looks really cool, the, the glowing eyes. Um, and it's, I suppose it's creepy to a degree. And there's, a, you know, bits of gore in there. They're kind of hit and miss. There's a few slit throats and that. Um, and there's a decapitation. Um, so there's there's some decent moments in it. I wasn't totally, I, well, I wasn't, I you know, we were joking about falling asleep during this movie earlier. And, you know, it. I suppose it, I found it a bit bland at times. Um, but overall, I was kind of surprised that it was, you know, decent enough but it's certainly not an essential movie for me um but amanda i mean when you were invited on to discuss jacko i i i I was under the assumption that this was because you love the movie so much but maybe you don't what are your thoughts well i one of the alishans whoever requested it i requested me oh that's nice yeah it was really nice and so i feel really bad about what i'm about to say so (laughs) I, i thought about i thought about like doing some kind of film theory because the last couple episodes I've been on and I really love to do that. I haven't had a chance. So I thought, Ooh, I could talk about intergenerational trauma or I could talk about the unreliable narrator, but I just can't because this movie isn't worth it to me. And so what happened was um, I saw it when it first came out and I'm pretty sure I saw like 20 minutes of it and I fell asleep. And so I was like, well, you know, let's see. I missed a lot of this movie and I'm embarrassed to say that because I only had one chance to watch it and I had a really hard time getting through it it's not that it's a bad movie it's like you said i i was really impressed with um the production quality of it i I don't think the story is bad at all Uh, i like a lot of the acting i think the people came in and they were really trying to do a good job um but it just washed over me like it was like a 90 minute sleeping pill like i just couldn't i couldn't focus on it i couldn't really I didn't care about what was happening. Um, And I feel really bad about that. But, uh, and you're right, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. But that thing about being just okay makes it worse, I think, than if the movie was really shitty or really good. It, It When movies are just okay, it's like the worst insult. And I feel bad saying that too, because I know that the director, whose last name is Latshaw, it might be Stan Latshaw, I know he was really trying to make a good movie. And the things he did technically are pretty impressive considering the amount of money. And with the exception of some of the things you brought out, Linnea Quigley looks beautiful in it. She's stunning. She's really good in it. Um, I wish she was in the movie more. Um, A lot of the women are actually quite beautiful in it. Uh, Like I said, it just looks really good. There's nothing wrong with it. So, but at the same time, there's nothing compelling about it either. And, so if a movie's not very good, sometimes if the idea is really good, I can latch on to that. I'm all about ideas. If I see like ambition that way, but the, it's just, I keep saying it. I don't know what else to say and I feel horrible, but it's just an empty experience um, without, with the exception of the commentary, which is amazing. And I know we'll talk about that in the extras. I did watch that. Um, so I have seen the film in whole now, but I just had a really hard time just like focusing on anything that was happening in the movie. And that said, I think, 
I guess if you like 90s shot on video kind of stuff, there's worse films out there. And I'm sorry, I feel like I can't add anything to the conversation. So I guess I'll leave it at that. And I'm with a, a big apology to the Alishans for not <gasps> having... Oh how yeah, can you not the, love Jacko? Um, I don't know. Yeah. I was under the impression it was shot on video as well. There's parts of it that really look like it's shot on video, but apparently it's not. Apparently it's shot on film. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. possible. So in the 90s, excuse me, if you go back through like 90s television, that's what I'm going to base everything on. Like film looked really, and so when I say shot on video, I guess I mean direct to video. Because yeah. um, I, I honestly don't know what they shot it on. But um but it does have a nice slick quality to it. Like uh, there's, there's ambition behind it and the director does have talent. Um, there's just not, there's no heart to it to me. And I, I hate saying that cause the sun's in it. And I, I don't like dissing filmmakers at all, especially when they're working on these kinds of movies, but I don't know. It's just missing something. Mm. Well, I, I kind of felt the same. I thought the, the director showed talents um, and I thought, you know, he could really have a go at a Friday the 13th sequel or a Hall- Halloween sequel if he was given the chance. But, you know, obviously that never came to pass. Update. We still have no fucking clue where this guy is. Um, Nathan, I'm sure you have a polar opposite reaction to Jacko than Amanda did. I love Jacko. <laughs> yes, <laughs> my so, it's so silly and ridiculous and... It's just, oh my god! Um, like the the toaster scene is hilarious. I also love after she sees her dead husband, she runs back into the house and then leaves the door wide open. But yeah, Jacko is is I, I think it's a fun movie. I mean, uh, I love the characters. Um, I think it's hilarious that we have this big build up to Jacko facing um, what's her name, Vivian, and uh, as soon as she and him come face to face, he kills her pretty quickly. So I'm like, okay, well, there goes that. It just makes me laugh because the woman, when she gets, when she gets electrocuted, it's really my favorite scene in the whole movie. I can't stop thinking about it. I love uh, the actual uh, killer in Jacko. And um, I think the acting is hysterical, particularly the young little boy who's uh, the main character. He makes me laugh. He's like a morphine or something. Like, there's no... Well, actually, there's a good behind-the-scenes story. Apparently, they were filming a lot overnight, and he was sleeping, and his dad would wake him up to act. And so I'm like, that makes sense, because he does seem like he was asleep. But yeah, he um, when he's getting buried alive, he's like, no, no. (laughs) So, But honestly, the best thing about Jacko is the audio commentary on the DVD. I mean, it's, it's absolutely hysterical because here's my thoughts. I think that Eric is is right in that. Um, I mean, to me, Jacko, I I, I like it and I like it a lot, but I can see where he's coming from in that it's not quite as over the top as it probably should have been. Um, I, I, I think that might make it just a little boring, but, um, thumbs up. That's what I got to say. I mean, I say, go check Jacko out. Thank you for picking it. Alice hands. Um, Justin, the, before I hand over to you, Vivian, the character, really reminded me of Anita Dobson, which is a reference that I don't think Amanda and Nathan will get. But mm-hmm. yeah. What, from uh, EastEnders? EastEnders. Yes, yeah. with that uh, poodle poem. What are, you, what are your thoughts on the wonderfulness that is Jacko? 
Well, um, as, uh, thank you, Katie Doyle. It's uh, it's like a Eurovision moment, isn't it? We're waiting for Joseph yes. to join us from Tennessee. Um, <laughs> well, Jacko is uh, it's not one that I'd seen before, uh, so it had passed me by. Although I think I'd heard it whispered, its name whispered uh, to me. It's I uh, I probably I'd liked it more than Amanda, but there's not nearly as much as Nathan. Um, I think the main problem with the film is, and the um, the director alludes to this in the commentary, is that it it didn't really know whether it was shooting to be a goosebump kids movie, or it was trying to be a um, uh, a kind of you know uh, breast and gore TNA show. So it was so it didn't know really what it was trying to be. So I think that's why it feels a little bit flat because it's not really knowing where 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 the tempo is, what it's aiming for. Um, so but some things i took away from it was uh you know the the acting is is almost troll-esque when it starts off um i thought oh this is going to be really funny but it never quite it it's it fits stutters a bit throughout um i like the the witch walking around the neighborhood it was vivian where the kids just think she's a witch because she's got um a poodle perm and dressed in purple which um <laughs> Which is interesting. The other takeaways I got from the uh, the movie is uh, why do breasts always get so dirty? Um, uh, and Linnea Quigley's shower scene, which was uh, again on the commentary, is hilarious. A commentary between Fred and Olin Ray and the director, uh, and the director saying, "Why on earth did I have this like hour long shower scene with Linnea Quigley in my movie?" Um, the one thing I did think was kind of uh, slightly. It was almost uh, we're talking about Amanda seeing, uh, sort of knowing that she's going to be talking about this in 1995. Was that one thing? It had a kind of strange echoes of today was the two kind of right-wing uh conservatives watching kind of an alex jones or some kind of shock jock on tv uh, uh and it just seemed almost very good like a sort of trump trump-esque uh sort of um individuals watching tv uh so i quite liked their characters it was quite sort of not like them I'd like, i thought it was in, interesting to have those kind of characters but it did make me wonder why the uh the um the, the kind of the right-wing lady um, uh, when she saw her dead husband on the lawn, she runs into the house, um, but doesn't think to actually uh, shut the door. Um, you, you know, you think in the, the kind of 101 on slasher movies is when you're running away from the killers, you shut the door behind you, but she doesn't manage that. Yeah, but this is a woman who manages to electrocute herself with a toaster, so <laughs> yes. I don't think she's the brainiest no and uh the other takeaways i had was the with the i like the um the halloween attraction with the uh with the the father of the um sean the there was probably one of the only people in the movie who seemed to actually be trying to act apart from linear quigley who was to be honest she was coasting it i mean she's coasting on charm alone which isn't difficult if you're linear quigley but um the father as the name escapes in a moment i thought he was quite good this is his only movie um but another takeaway was that those kids are really easily scared the um in the the haunted house uh and also the other thing is if i ever need to bury a body i won't use a scythe to cover them in dirt because that was going to take about four <laughs> hours so to cover that kid yeah. wasn't it um so yeah it was kind of weird it was kind of weird mix of kids horror goosebumps movie um with uh with nudity and gore uh so it, it but so and i think that was the reason why it didn't go on you know due south or due north uh enough for to take it into complete kind of batshit crazy territory all in all it's a bit of a shit pickle of an episode let's talk a little bit uh about the background and the commentary for the uh the movie which um 
is uh, I, I found um, if you rather than listen to the whole thing and actually watching the whole of Jacko again, I, there is a the best of the commentary, which is about uh, about ten minutes of the best clips from oh, the commentary. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Yes, so I listened to that this morning. So I haven't listened to the whole commentary. But uh, Amanda, what what did you think of the the commentary? Because the commentary is between uh, Fred Olin Ray, who, if I'm right in thinking, was the producer on this movie, wasn't he? It's really engaging. It's it's interesting because it's famous for the ship pickle line, which I guess we should preface. So like towards the end of the commentary, uh, Fred Olin Ray says, talks about some of the reviews that the film got. And he, he said, some people refer to this as a shit pickle. And so the director's like, you said you wouldn't say that word. And, and he gets kind of upset about it. And then they have like an argument and he storms out. And then uh, the director tries to get back into the room to finish the commentary, but he's somehow locked himself out. So you just hear like the door jingling and then Fred Olin Ray lets him back in. And then a couple minutes go by of like kind of strained conversation and then um they continue and i can't tell if that's like a meta moment where they like purposely implanted that in the film commentary or not it's hard to tell because when he comes back he seems genuinely upset but it also is so perfectly like done in terms of comedy that you feel like they might have planned it it's just hard to know their banter is really wonderful there's like a tension between the two but they also sort of have admiration for each other and they also have a lot of um really good insight about making these kinds of movies and a really like pitch perfect memory of shooting the film and um and so they actually give you a lot of detail about how they shot it what kind of cameras they used um who the actors are where they came from and um and so it's really, really engaging. Um, just a piece of trivia, but he's super into TV movies. So he sometimes contacts me and we talk about TV movies. And um, and he asked me to do the liner notes for Snow Beast for him, his Blu-ray release, which I did. And um, he's just great. But I think it's a really, really good commentary. Here's the famous shit pickle. You know, and, and I, to be honest with you, who the hell else but me, Steve, would be putting this this back out? I mean, it's been called a shit pickle in some reviews. Uh, it's been, I mean, who else but me? I mean, and at Halloween and and with all these extras, I mean, it's hard, for right, you, it's, it's hard to sit here and excuse say that me, I don't excuse care me a minute. how the movie Fred, turns out. We discussed this commentary before we ever got into this, and you specifically stated you would not make any reference to the shit pickle comment. <laughs> Well, I'd never heard that before. Okay, I know, and you laughed your ass off when know, you told me. You were laughing when you you said shit pickle. I know, but... As a matter of fact, you said shit pickle more than <laughs> once. You said that's so funny. Shit pickle, shit pickle. Well, you know what's funny to me? <laughs> You're making me laugh, I'll dude. tell you what, you can sit here and do this fucking commentary yourself. <laughs> oh, come on, Steve. Jesus Christ. But to me, the way that Fred is laughing there, it just really gives you the vibe that, like, that's just the kind of relationship that they have. Severed and mutilated head was stamped and postmarked Denver. The owner still has not stepped forward. Update. All of us here are glad that such a terrific human being like Joe has returned. If I were a woman, I'd sure like to be his girlfriend. Walking in the park hand in hand. Wrapping my legs around him. Cuddling in the spoon position. Our hearts beating in unison. Staring into his eyes over our morning coffee. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. Here's the story of a love of a lovely lady who <laughs> fell asleep early from working too hard. His phone fell behind the bed, and he is a lovely lady, by the way. 
His phone yeah. fell behind the bed. Um, he overslept. He wasn't able to get his notes ready. So I have no thoughts on Chaco. Um, I have general thoughts, but just not my full thoughts. Yeah, I like the movie. I think what it does is, um, well, for one, it's really, really bad. It, it's so like kind of melodramatic and kind of maudlin, but it try it tries so hard to just kind of be competent at the same time failing at everything else. Um, I loved the, the two, um, the, well, the mother character one and the, and I think her name's Vivian is the other woman. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is that her name? Yeah. Uh, Vivian and Linda, I believe their names are. Linda has the, the weirdest bug eyes you've ever seen. And they look like they come out of an eighties movie. This, this, this feels like an alternate reality, 1995 to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just woke up. I'm kind of, all over the place. So those are my general thoughts on Jacko. Maybe, uh, maybe next time I'll, I won't fall. I won't oversleep and drop my phone behind the bed. Okay. Well, just to get you up to speed myself and Justin were kind of, you know, it's okay for what it is. Amanda wasn't terribly impressed with it. And of course, Nathan thinks it's a masterpiece. It's a bad movie, but I, I had some fun with it. So there you go. Okay. Well, we just played, I don't know if you heard the clip from the, the famous shit pickle, uh, clip but that's why i think uh, amanda you're saying about it possibly meta but of course that's why it it struck me that in the film he talks about the foreshadowing of the door not being opened uh and then the um the fact that he alludes well he says that uh the the scene where the kid is outside and you think he's been killed by uh jacko is he said it was uh, borrowed from uh, or inspired by val luton's leopard man which is a fantastic scene in that um old uh, 1940s i think it was movie uh so i i thought it was whether or not that was it seemed to be almost the fact he couldn't get back into the room was why it kind of tipped the hat to perhaps it was all a bit of a setup i don't know but um very amusing the only the only better commentary that i've ever heard the funnier commentary was the one with doris wishman on a night to dismember which was, yeah i thought of that when i was maybe they talked about being that way with each other but also you feel like that's a natural thing because at the end of the commentary uh the director gets mad again and, and fred and ray's like we've been friends for years and he's like acquaintances we've been acquaintances yes. and so Fred and ray's like well fuck you and then the director's like well fuck you too and then it ends and you're like what just happened but on top of all of that they still managed to have like a really insightful commentary and that's what's so amazing about it is that it's it i wish the commentary was the film because there's so much energy and passion about it and the fact that they I, what i love about filmmaker commentaries generally is that they their memories of the movies are so good and because they're so passionate about what they're doing so he remembered all these things it, it, with, with the exception of and i just real quickly for another great commentary is the george p cosmatos commentary for cobra when they originally released it because they didn't give him a moderator and they sat him down and they're like okay george just go <laughs> george p cosmatos who i think was greek right he says why is the man shooting melons he's very bad man <laughs> and so like that's the commentary for like half of it and it's amazing it's amazing and then he kind of starts to talk about making the film but um this commentary has all these different weird elements to it that make it like one of the most delightful things i've ever heard and i loved it i'm sorry um since i'm i don't i have no idea where you guys are can i just say i do love the scene where the girl she's dressed in like this jacket that looks like a banana and she's out in the woods with um, her, her boyfriend. <laughs> he gets decapitated, and her, his head rolls right into her lap. I laughed at that scene till like I cried. 
Mm. But I don't know if that scene's been mentioned. I don't recall her jacket looking like a banana. I'll have to go back. (laughs) It's so so yellow. It's like a big banana. She looks like a giant banana. (laughs) And then she's she's running through the woods, and then the the guys in the cherry picker spots her. She has those those acid-washed jeans that have got holes in them. Totally ripped, yeah. Yeah, this does not look like 1995 to me. It looks like 1987 or 88. I'm, I'm yeah, wondering. It. The one guy did get his haircut, uh, the father, uh, partway through the film, and the director points that out. And Fernando Ray was like, "Oh my god, his hair is totally different. I never noticed that." And so there's like this, there is this weird sort of like uh, alternate reality that happens with it in terms of that. But what's yeah, the, funny about the jeans <laughs> is that the director really had a crush on that actress, and Fernando Ray liked her as well, and he was talking about her in the ripped jeans and he's like, so, you know, she wore these jeans with holes in them. And, uh, let's just say I really enjoyed it. And I'm like, jeans with holes in them are sexy. Like, you know what I mean? Like I've never thought of that, (laughs) but he really liked them. I'm wondering if this movie had a continuity editor at all. I don't think it did. A bit like this podcast podcast is going to need a continuity editor. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's going to be tricky, but, um, talking of, uh, well, uh, uh, should we actually, should we do, should we do some background before we do the feedback or the only reason I was going to say about doing some background was only talking about the, uh, when the movie was made. Cause I, I did see somewhere it said it was shot in 93 and released in 95. That doesn't quite explain the weird eightiesness, but of course you've got, um, John Carradine who I think his scenes were shot in 1985, probably a different movie entirely. Uh, well, no, what he says on the commentary is that, um, he was filming another project for Fred Olin Ray, a completely different one. And they did it because they had time on their hands. They did another setup and got him to do just, some random thing shots that they said oh we can use that in a f- movie in the future and that movie ended up being jacko right okay which makes sense doesn't it so uh, but also i saw, saw they said that they filmed on weekends for the film so uh so it may explain why it took so long but uh yeah so do we want to talk any more background or should we t- should we go to um uh joseph or nathan uh, i don't know if you want to duke it out okay we don't know where we are yeah amanda <laughs> what's your background uh so don wildsmith who plays the girl who's in the movies that they're watching on tv that gets her breast felt up by the monster she used to be married to fred olin ray which is amazing because they got a lot of content out of her and that uh the opening and a lot of the shots of the like creepy garden was shot in james best's backyard and james best as you know played roscoe p coltrane of <gasps> hazard right <laughs> yep and you know they used his dog in the movie and his dog was named roscoe um and uh he would the director would go on to work with james best in a movie called death masks with linnea quigley uh that came out the year after or something like that which i've never seen uh one of the things that stood out to me was that they talked about they wanted um, a small monster originally, and they, they referenced uh, Trilogy of Terror and the Zuni Fetish Doll. And I think the reason they said that they thought the large monster worked better, but I think that they said that because to do a little monster, they'd have to do a lot of animatronics and puppetry. And I think they were like, forget it. There's no way that that's going to happen. Um, the conservative couple were based on a real couple living in the director's neighborhood. And just two more things briefly. So I did find a review uh, in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and I'll just read a paragraph of it. Um, the reviewer wrote, you don't really appreciate good acting until you've seen bad acting, and this is pretty bad. Part of the blame lies with Fred and Ray, 
director, producer, and writer. I don't know why they call him a director. Um, and how about the ending? After the big confrontation, a bunch of characters walk down the street into the dawn, as one suggests, let's go get some breakfast, which is hilarious because they're not put out by this at all. Who cares about that, uh, about the body in the woods? Pass me a Bloody Mary. So the one or two reviews it got were pretty negative. But what I thought was really interesting about the movie is that it's very much like a movie that came out that same year uh, called Night of the Scarecrow by Jeff Burr. Has anybody here seen that? Mm, a long time ago. It's kind of the opposite where they sort of uproot the grave in Night of the Scarecrow um, as compared to sort of where he sticks this thing in the hole, which is its own thing, I guess, um, if you're going to be Freudian about it. But uh, yeah, both the movies sort of play out in the same way and they came out the same year. So in a way, it's like the burning and madman, right? Like they're both making the same movie Mm. and one sort of this minimalist sort of viewpoint using the same legend. And the other one is like this, like uh, much better shot. Uh, although I prefer Madman, to be honest, but much better shot film, you know, which is more in depth or more technically proficient. Okay. Well, thank you, Amanda. Um, Joseph, as it was your pick, do you have any background? What? No. (laughs) (laughs) Nathan, do you have any background? No. (laughs) Not now. I did have some, but y'all read it already. I don't think Amanda read this one out, but they mentioned on the commentary that Cameron Mitchell's footage was taken from an unreleased, um, unfinished film called Terminal Shock, which was a Fred Olin Ray production that was going to be an anthology featuring a selection of short movies linked together. And all the movies were going to be shot by young filmmakers, um, I think recent graduates or something. But uh, it never got completed. So that's where they got the Cameron Mitchell footage from. Cool. Thank you. I think everything has been uh, read out. Um, the uh, the only thing I would, uh, one thing I'll just read out to show the kind of horror lineage of this sort of slasher lineage. Uh, there's a fantastic website uh, you, many of you probably already know called Vegan Voorhees, uh, mm-hmm. which um, and I just took this from his review of this. So he said Fred Olin Ray directed Scalps and Final Examination. Linear can also be seen in Graduation Day, Sun and Night, Deadly Night, Colobos. Uh, Spring Break Massacre and a background cameo in Fatal Games. Brinkett Stevens was also a backgrounder in Fatal Games and was also in Slum Party Massacre, American Nightmare 2000, Bleed, Blood Reaper, The Cheerleader Massacre and Sigma Die. And Cameron Mitchell was in The Toolbox Murders, The Demon, Silent Scream, Trapped Alive and Valley of Death. So, uh, yes, so quite a horror lineage or slash lineage uh, to the movie. But otherwise, I think... um, everything else has been uh, said although i would urge everyone to check out the commentary and if you want the highlights then say there's a 10 minute uh, mega mix on uh, youtube so check that out so um joseph do you want to read out the feedback sure uh this is from facebook it's christy valenti she says linnea doesn't deserve that also that dad is way too invested in his haunted garage uh, don't look don't look behind you says love 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 killer scarecrows are one of my favorite subgenres. jake the snake mccoy says big guilty pleasure of mine fun as hell but the commentary from the director and producer make it 10 times better steve testa says it's a shit pickle the producer agrees mike alishan says the alishans are back uh thank you Al- mike alishan <laughs> i'm sorry you I'm, really I'm, say that <laughs> yeah. Uh, he says the Alishans are back and then his brother Ara which I, I think it was Mike who picked this one um, his brother Ara says I suppose it was just a matter of time before our family's legacy was tarnished by Jacko's curse gratuitous Linnea Quigley shower scene aside I'm honestly having a hard time remembering much on the forums Mr. Palmer says you honestly don't want to know what I think lol 
Uh, how can that be? He says, I try not to have thoughts about Jacko. I think I see what he did there. Uh, Tuzo Tonic says, in the words of Fred Olin Ray on the commentary track, you know what he says. Body Boy says, I have no desire to watch it ever again, if that tells you anything. Kodiak Jack says, every time I watch it, I feel like I like the movie a little more, but, but I can never remember anything about it. Instagram ShedGool94 says, really good as a kid, not so good grown up. Blaine Geyser says, absolutely ridiculous. The flashback scenes make me laugh. Linnea does what she does best. The electrocution scene makes me laugh out loud every time I see it. I think the commentary with Fred and Steve Latshaw on YouTube cracks me up. Steve seems a bit touchy about the film. Shit pickle. Jacko looks cool, though, but let's be real. It's pretty bad, but sometimes in a good way. The Big Movie House uh, says, I rented this as a kid and thought it was really good. When I bought the DVD, I realized that my child self was not the greatest critic in the world. The film is really bad, but there are a few things to like, so it isn't a total waste. Lou Toad, I bought it thinking it was hack lantern for some reason. I don't even remember it. Got to pull it back out of the stack. Okay. Uh, Craig Buchamp says, uh, my DVD is signed by the director, Steve Latshaw. But I still haven't actually watched the film. As a child who was terribly disappointed by Pumpkinhead when the monster didn't have a jack-o'-lantern for a head, will this movie live up to my childhood dreams? Yes. Um, Math. <laughs> yeah. Um, Matthew Caldwell seven nine six says I have immense love for this movie. Jake Helgren. Our friend Jake says it's a guilty fave. DeBorgi86 says hilarious. And on Twitter, Jacob says, oh boy, horrible but watchable. The commentary is the best part of the DVD because um, because of the argument where the director storms out. And that is all the feedback I have. So Excellent. Well, thank you for commenting on that and giving us feedback. Uh, and I shall play This Is How To Get In Contact with the show and also a trailer for one of our uh, the friends of the show, too. Want to learn more about horror directors? With a lighthearted look at three of their movies, meet fearless podcaster Gore Blimey. I've been unsettled by bats in the past and startled by parrots, and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo. Discover horror films that are classics, and others, too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep fried... But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion, and background information, too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay porn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. One of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies. All I know is today's October the 31st. 31 backwards is 13. It's Friday, it's Halloween. It's the 13th anniversary of the lawnmower killings. It's a crazy loose. It's prom night. Hi, this is Tracy Savage. Debbie from Friday the 13th, part three. For the best podcast ever on old slasher movies, be sure you find Hysteria Continues. You will be glad you did. And hey, stay out of Crystal Lake, okay? Every episode, we celebrate a classic slasher movie, such as Friday the 13th, Halloween, My Bloody Valentine, Happy Birthday to Me, and uh, Crazy Fat Ethel 2. Please don't hurt me, Ethel! 
The hysteria continues, bringing Slash with Panache since 2011. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and all good podcatchers. You thought I was going to miss an episode, but I've not missed an episode yet, even though I've missed most of this one. <laughs> well, it's going to be, well, and your punishment, Joseph, is the editing stage. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's going to be fun, but I'll see what I can do. Yeah, I'm sure we can fashion. We did think, actually, we could possibly, um, uh, with all the outtakes, we could do a little Patreon uh, piece as well. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. To show behind the I'm just the wondering scenes. what I was said, what I was said while I was uh, asleep in my comfy, comfy bed. Yes. Well, well, you'll you'll listen through and you'll you'll find out. But uh, <laughs> yes, so we might do a little special Patreon uh, sneak behind the dirty curtain of the hysteria continues and see what we go through to bring you uh, this show. We will. I'm I'm going to do it for that'll be my penance for showing up late. Okay. <laughs> I'll do the bonus. I'll do the bonus episode. Okay, excellent. Well, um, well, is there anything left to talk about? I'm trying to think. Joke of the week. Joke of the week. Oh, yes, of course. Joke of the week. Does it involve a shit pickle? Oh, I'm so hey. glad I didn't miss this. I know. You are welcome in advance. I'm gonna. I'm gonna disconnect. My joke of the week. Where does the pumpkin man go to do his poo poos? <laughs> to the Jacko Latrine. Jacko Latrine. Oh, oh God, that's hilarious. <laughs> that was terrible. Jacko Latrine. Like Jacko I like how everything happens. It's not just the horns or a plane crashing or one handed clapping or whatever. It's everything. Everything. All everything. <laughs> all the time. I'm, I just, going, I'm going back to bed. I'm going back to bed. Good night. I wish I had the presence of mind to have uh, got shit pickle as a little uh, sound clip for that. But uh, anyway. I'll, I'll, I'll throw it in somewhere. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, well thank you uh, to Amanda for put yourself through not only jacko but the the podcast from hell episode my pleasure podcast that was recorded like an like pulp fiction or go or one of those type of movies <laughs> yes well i i do wonder actually uh, joseph whether i just send you the whole file for you to edit down because i think it's going to be yeah just just do that and i'll have fun with it okay um well uh well thank you for listening to the hysteria continues and um we what are we covering next time nathan i believe it is your pick it is my pick and we are going to take a trip to a not so deserted island for american gothic okay well fantastic well i look forward to haven't seen that since the heady days of vhs back in the late 80s uh, when it first came out so looking forward to um uh, catching up with that one again and uh, amanda are you what i see you've been doing uh, quite a lot of appearances haven't you uh, talking about tv movies uh, which i'm sure has been uh, they look fantastic and i just wish i could be on your side of the atlantic uh, anywhere near where you are to come see some so you have you got anything else planned coming up i do if i could just promote a couple of things real quick so yeah, of course. you mentioned that i'm ha- i have a presentation uh well i'm hosting um this uh, series of films, TV movies at the Alamo draft house. I do it quarterly. I've got uh, one coming up on April 30th. Um, now they're mystery movies. I can't tell you what we're showing, but if anybody is in Austin and listening to this and they're curious and they want to catch a TV movie, it's going to be at the South Lamar 
Alamo at 9.30 p.m. on April 30th. And it's almost, well, it's not almost sold out, but it's like getting there. So uh, check that out. Um, and then I just recently did a commentary for uh, Kino Lorber's release of The Girl Most Likely To, uh, which is a TV movie from 1973, which I'm pretty sure Justin's seen. I'm not sure if anybody yes, else has seen it. Stockholm Channing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I did the commentary with Kayla Janice, who wrote House of Psychotic Women and who runs um, Spectacular Optical, that publishing house, and does a ton of amazing things herself. That was really good. I'm excited for people to hear it. We had a lot of fun with it. It's a great, great movie. I did the liner notes for a movie from 1970 called Dream No Evil, which is by John Hayes, which is a really wonderful film. And so I'm super excited to be attached to that. And that's, I think, what I have that's happening that has been announced. Um, I don't think I have any more presentations lined up right now, but I was just in LA, which was great. And if you're just listening to this now and you're curious about TV movies, the LA times did a really great article about TV movies and how they're sort of becoming more popular again. The old ones are gaining interest. And I was interviewed for that article. So you could just Google, I guess, LA times and TV movies and you'll probably find it. So I think that's it. Amanda. Um, I've been, uh, I got some like old tapes from like family members that's got a bunch of old, uh, like, you know, eighties commercials and stuff. And I've been, you know, getting TV spots and stuff for our YouTube channel. Um, I've run across a ton of TV movie trailers. I saw one, um, the other day when I was editing through some of those tapes, I saw one for one, a movie called first affair with Melissa Sue Anderson and Joel Higgins. Have you seen that one? been thinking about it because Loretta Swit just joined Twitter and she stars in it. Yeah. She plays Joel Higgins' wife. And yeah. I saw that movie because I was so hot and heavy for Joel Higgins. I was like 11 and I was like, oh my God, he was the dad on Silver Spoons. And I forget Ricky Schroeder. I was all about, talk about old men. I was super into the dad. And so <laughs> I watched it. And what was really interesting about the movie was that at the time I saw myself as the Melissa Sue Anderson character, who's the girl that has the affair. She's in college and she meets this guy who's married to her professor and all this stuff happens and it was so salacious and wonderful and then it came out on VHS and I and I saw it as an adult and then I was like oh my gosh I'm Loretta Swit you know what I mean I'm the wife and and so it was interesting to watch it from those two perspectives it's a really really good movie um and it does have a VHS release but it has never gone beyond that yeah I've seen a bunch of these old TV spots for these old TV movies I saw that one and I saw a couple others um yeah I found a bunch I mean like I found like hundreds of these old TV movie like bumpers and trailers so if you ever want like copies of them just let me know i got them saved so oh i do yes thank you brilliant well thank you amanda for joining us and well hopefully next time you come aboard the the good ship hysteria continues it will be slightly less bumpy all right well what are we playing out with joseph oh um i couldn't really find a song so i found one from 1995 by 311 called jack-o'-lantern's weather Okay, right. Well, we're playing out with that. So thank you for listening to The Hysteria Continues. And we look forward to going to that deserted or semi-deserted island for a bit of American Gothic, uh, a.k.a. Hide and Shriek. Because, yeah, it was American Gothic, and that's what was released in this country, I think. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, We'll see you next time. So say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, good people. Bye. Hello. (laughs) Wait a minute, give the check one, check one,